Look out, something is going to get you tonight. Let's talk about the thing that's going to get you tonight. Welcome to the Happy Harvest Horror Show. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Brian. And this is the Happy Harvest Horror Show, where we get together and talk about our favorite spooky things in the spookiest, darkest, coldest time of the year. We've got a fun episode today. We're getting a little esoteric, if you will. Yes. (laughs) And we're talking about sigils. But before we do that, we always got a fun thing we start off each episode with, and we talk about our spooky weeks. Uh, Corey, it's been a few weeks. How spooky has any one of the weeks been? Any one of the weeks. Um, there's been a lot of stuff. But I'm not gonna lie. I kind of want to completely yield my time to one one specific topic that yeah. I want to talk to you about. Um, because I know you've seen it now, yeah. and that is the Love Has Won. Oh yeah, documentary. I the whole thing. I <laughs> I... The whole thing, and the first thing I did is I sent you a text because you live in the same state, and I said, <laughs> "Yo, be careful out there." Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and you're the funny thing is you you were the second person to basically send me that exact same time <laughs> which made me ask myself like am, do you all think that i am at risk of joining a cult <laughs> i don't think you'd ever join that one but i'm saying they're like they're doing crazy stuff in your backyard you know it's true. i do to be fair uh literally like one of my first uh, reactions was to Google Crestone, Colorado, and see how far away it is from where I am. Because I, I will definitely uh, go on a little road trip down there. It just and seems this like is a why we thing. say be careful. No, <laughs> the cult's not even down there anymore. They did mm. disperse. Oh, that's but, why they're all over. They're in Florida mostly now. Yeah, right. the main ones are in Florida now. But um, anyways, if you haven't, to our audience, if you haven't seen yet. There is a, a three-part documentary series on Amazon about a uh, a cult largely that was based in Colorado, but but did bop around a bit, um, called Love Has Won. And, you know, this this all just happened just a few short years ago. That's um, wild, man. That's nuts. So much so that I do. I remember when they found the cult leader's body because it just sounded so fucking trippy. Like, I remember the headlines being like mummified cult leader, you know, wrapped in Christmas lights and being like, hey, I wonder what that looks like. (laughs) Um, Well, first scene of the documentary, you'll find out. You'll find out exactly what that looks like. (laughs) It's wild, man. It's it's like the wrapped in Christmas light. There's so many layers to it. The room that we walked in. Oh, man. The way they 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 preserve this body, yeah. They, the way they preserve this body—that's that's the <laughs> of their god, you know. Like, yeah, they uh they they removed they removed her eyes, and then they filled filled the eye holes with glitter. So there's that image for you. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to our podcast knows this about me. Cults, kind of my thing. Kind of always been my thing. I have seen. So many cult documentaries. I've seen a lot of them many times. Like it's it's a kind of a hyper fixation of mine. This documentary, I don't know. It was probably the eeriest, most unsettling cult 
documentary I've ever seen. And the thing is, I I like I knew this was going to happen, especially when everything started happening with Nexium and like the vow. Like I remember having conversations about how cult documentaries are going to start getting really good because we're in an era of documenting everything. And mm-hmm. who definitely wants to document every little bit of of their teachings it's, it's going to be a cult leader right so mm-hmm. like we're going to get these cult documentaries that like every second has been documented like and now they're starting to come out and and they're amazing like they're really good but it's it's like a new level of cult documentary you know it's like you're really in there you're really watching all this live footage and you're watching the kind of descent into delusion in real time and you can also place yourself because they're coming out like so quickly after the fact whereas you know when you think back to like you know we get like um manson family documentaries like 20 years after the fact you know like but now they're coming out like right away so you can like place yourself in the timeline of when all this was going on and it's just a trip it's a trip of how it like interact like Specifically, Love Has One, how their ideology interacted with, like, conspiracy theories that are really big. Like, they they touch on, like, QAnon. Like, they, they were just lost in the sauce about a lot of stuff. A lot of the 5D rhetoric, you know, that everyone's always throwing around. But no one really has a good explanation of what 5D actually is. <laughs> Seeing that kind of spiritual psychosis occur in this like little community all around a woman that they refer to as mother god who by all accounts was just just a pretty white lady like that's really all she (laughs) she was at the end of the yeah and her superpower was just telling people that they were amazing you know yeah like which, (laughs) which that's i mean that's that's scary that people that, that that we live in a world or we've always lived in this world where that we, so many people are very susceptible to something like that, that like, like the, the big father, I guess, or whatever that, that yeah. he was There's like, always a father for mother. Right, God. How he said that it, there was never a point in his life where anyone told him he was amazing. And that was like, that like rewired his brain into like believing it. And I, and it just sounds so trite and trivial, but like it, it really might not be to so many people, you know? Oh, it's so true. Look someone in the eyes and tell them that they're worth something. Like it goes a long way, but don't become a cult leader. Yeah. <laughs> don't use that in a manipulative way. Just right. do it. because It's a nice thing to do. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. You're all yeah. saved. <laughs> Boom. You're making connections. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> one of my favorite out. things, too, about, like, the Love is One documentaries and, like, when it was first, like, kind of starting to happen before, like, the cult fully formed, she, when she met her first father, God, or whatever, um, they interview him. And he is, I swear to God, I live in the mountains of Colorado. I have met that man on multiple occasions. Like, he is just your typical old hippie guy in the mountains like that is who he is and like they interview him and he's actually you know he's kind of kind of wacky a little out there but like harmless you know like and at one point he says he was like yeah like everything was great we were into the same stuff and like talking about all the spirituality and stuff and at one point he goes and then there was a point where it seemed like she thought she was more god than everyone else was god (laughs) 
Incredible. And I, <laughs> so real because he was all about it. He was like, "Yeah, you're God, and I'm God, and like we're all God." You know? And oh, then wait, she, you're God more than me. Oh, I held up. <laughs> she took it, and then she ran with it. And he was like, "All right, peace." And he just, you know, continued his hippie life in the mountains. So, you know, you can be a, a, an eccentric spiritual weirdo and not hurt anyone. Like, that's very, very doable. But it, it I don't know. There is a line. And, and Love is One, I think, is just the documentary really captures that descent into what it is to be indoctrinated into a cult. And that was another thing that really freaked me out about the documentary. They interview so many people um that are were part of this cult and are still pretty like programmed and the look in their eyes like reminds me like it just gives me vibes of what like the manson family must have been like you know like they've just got this like this look in their eyes of just complete dissociation (laughs) that was the thing that got me to watching this one was was you know because you see so many of these documentaries or just in documentary in general they're all speaking of kind of like the past tense of like you know like after the fact they've kind of come around they've learned their lessons and then they're talking about it you know in hindsight you know and so you you always get like these like i it sounds crazy but at the time this is most of these people are still very much in it you know and still believing and that's what was pretty unnerving and uncanny as they're talking about all this stuff and they're like Less talking, almost kind of preaching it, you know. Yes, and they're like totally. trying to get me on board, and I and it, and it's even crazier that like yeah. you know that's what I'm like. I don't yeah. like to use the throw out the word you know crazy as 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 like uh you know so so freely, but like that I had that thought like this is you have, you're all crazy you know <laughs> yeah no, there's only only a couple of them that they interview are out of it like there's a couple of them that like bounced and sure. were like you know but yeah several of them. You know, it's no longer like a unified cult. Like they have all dispersed, but several of them seem still very indoctrinated into the beliefs and are still kind of connected to the idea of Mother God, despite, you know, their. Because that's what happens in cults a lot of the time, too, is the cult leader is believed to be kind of, you know, infallible and like Mother God was supposed to ascend they keep using the word ascend Mm -hmm. and their whole idea was that like she was gonna physically ascend like yeah jesus kind of like the whole body and then she died from a combination of extreme alcoholism and colloidal silver poisoning and anorexia like just like a cocktail of not great stuff and then they didn't know what to do with the body because the aliens never came to pick her up christmas lights yeah, and they still, and the way these these members are interviewed, they still haven't really reconciled that with, like, you know, what they were told. And it's, yeah, it is. It's just a trip. It's it's um, not an easy watch, but definitely an interesting one. And, you know, ultimately, I hope they all kind of, like, find a healthier path for themselves. But, yeah, it's, that, that was... That was a cult in Colorado that was happening basically during like the pandemic, like that was going on. <laughs> it, it, it it feels like we're we're going through our own little repeat of the eighties right now, you know, with like our <laughs> our we're on satanic panic and a lot of the, the politics and all this. But it, 
also bringing back this idea of just like your neighbor is maybe horrifying, you know, like, (laughs) you know, that like, which I feel like with so many uh, trope in a lot of 80s media that like, you know, that that who knows you're because we're on the tail. We just left all these serial killers of the past few decades that like, you never know who you're living next to. And now as seeing this documentary, I'm thinking it all over again. I don't know. who i'm living next to especially you, know? you you live in new york city you know yeah. how many of those cults are in my building alone you know <laughs> how, how many, many christmas light cults? mummies are in <laughs> just on my block you yeah know? yeah no it's wild and like and ultimately i do love the documentary because i will say it doesn't it's not sensationalized like it's not trying to paint anyone as like better or worse than what they were it's just like this happened (laughs) and i'm just i'm just gonna show you i'm gonna give you three episodes and uh this is what happened (laughs) and like you can kind of go from there you know yeah Yeah. i mean it's it's it playing out throughout the whole story you get to the you know you start with that body at the beginning with this podcast or with this documentary you're like my god how do we get here there has to be some like real crime that happened and the crime was like the extreme negligence and like nobody saying no at any point so, like to like an extreme degree you know what i mean that like and it was negligence often due to delusion so it's kind sure. of just like, yeah you know but, just like everyone everyone was so mind warped so it's kind of like uh <laughs> that's, that's what uh, yeah it's wild yeah, it's great. color. She's drinking silver, like not so. Anyway, go check out. You're drinking like a liter of it a day, like a so day. much colloidal so blue. She turns straight up blue, y'all. Um, go watch it. Go watch it. I'm like, you know, by by trade, I'm a bartender, and I was I was <laughs> uh, a pouring pouring my drinks, slinging my drinks, and I had a few people at my bar the other day, and all I wasn't like, I was just kind of busy, and I wasn't like listening to their conversation at all, but I just heard like, and then she turned blue, and I was like, love has won. <laughs> 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 like I was just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways. Enough. Of, I mean, I could talk about that all day long. We have other things to talk about. Brian, how spooky was your week? Spooky wise, I was in a murder mystery party this last Ooh, weekend that ended up delightful. Yeah, in the Greenwood Cemetery here in Brooklyn. And we were all walking because like the last clue of the murder mystery was we had to figure out a name and we knew that the the name was the same as the father and the father was someone real in the cemetery. So we had to go find their gravestone in the cemetery. That was really fun. It was like a kind of like an like rainy day in the beautiful cemetery. My gosh, I've never been to the cemetery before, but I love a cemetery that's really vertical, you know, that's got winding paths and it's so big and, and it reignited my want uh, of a mausoleum. I want a little, uh, I want a little stone dead house. To <laughs> just uh put up my feet forever in you know and then you can just drop my body outside that house and let it decay naturally. put it in the mailbox or something i don't know <laughs> i feel like we've had this conversation every time you and i have been in like a cemetery or near a cemetery together you want like a grand like safe it doesn't thing. have to be grand it okay just... <laughs> Just, it just seems to be a stone building. 
there was one that was you know the house in in uh gretel and hansel that like the triangle there was there was a mausoleum there that was just like a little uh just a little witch hut and i'm like see just a modest little forever witch hut you know that's (laughs) That's what i'm looking for (laughs) just letting everybody know these are my wishes and (laughs) well my wishes might now be to be mummified and wrapped in christmas lights i don't know (laughs) eyeballs out and all yeah maybe maybe i mean it was a look there was a book i read years ago called from here to eternity it was it's a fascinating book i think i've mentioned it on here uh it's it's about a mortician that goes around the world and learns about other cultures funeral practices and whatnot but she goes on for like a whole uh, chapter or so about Indonesia and the, their practice of the body will just stay in their house for a few weeks or months after they're, they've passed. Um, and they'll, you know, they're just like another roommate because it, uh, unless the, the body was diseased, you know, there's, there's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah. Oh, that, there's a whole great episode of midnight gospel about that. That same um, thing. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite shows, but kind of about the funerary industrial complex, basically. And how, unfortunately, like we've created just a a system, especially in Western culture and in the United States, where there's only like one way you're allowed to go about it, which is so awful. Yeah. Hands off. And it's so (laughs) like. Yeah. And it's like, there's actually a lot of different ways you can deal with death and grieving that and experiencing it um, that are completely safe and normal. So, yeah, I don't know. I support alternative alternative death plans uh in the book this is years ago i read the book i might have this wrong but i'm pretty sure if this still holds colorado is still the only state in the u.s that you can be uh put on a funeral pyre look at you maybe that's why no one ended up in trouble for for the whole the whole love is one situation (laughs) i'm like you know we're a little more loose with it right (laughs) Funeral pyres, Christmas lights. It's you know, uh, but real quick, we were talking about books. We do have a book club. It's the best book club there's ever been. It's the only one I've been a part of, so the, it's top of the list for me. If you'd like to join, it's so easy. Just go to our Instagram and uh, support us through our link tree. There's a link in bio, and any level gets you access to the the Zoom links every month. And just send us an email saying, "Hey." Happy Harvest Horror Show at gmail.com. Please get me in there, please. And then we say, yes, there you are. We get you your golden ticket. And that's how it works. Speaking of golden ticket, I did see the new Willy Wonka. It is a fever dream of a film. It's <laughs> wild. And I kind of loved it. I don't think it actually like is super in line with the other films. But if 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 you're willing to just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. It's a trip. No. <laughs> yeah, I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, no. But then I saw the director was the director of Paddington 1 and 2, which I'm like, oh, oh, no, I got to see it now. You know, so. Oh, exactly. I actually that's um, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, this is probably going to be a mess. But I on Saturday had literally one of the most insane days of work I've ever worked in my entire life. And then after getting off me and my friend who worked with me, we were like, let's go drink wine and see this Wonka movie. Um, And so we did. And I wasn't expecting much, but I had a really fun time. I will say a lot of fun. And 
And it did make me a little emotional and like, and it's, it's musical. It's a very musical. We got little Timmy Chalamet singing up a storm. Wasn't expecting oh. that. You, um, you got the pipes. You can yeah. It. it was, I don't know. It was a good time. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah. So I don't know. Don't be too put off by the trailer because I was kind of like, I saw the trailer and I was like, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is an oopsie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and honestly, in in certain ways, it kind of has like Sweeney Todd vibes. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. So it's kind of it's fun. It's fun. I had a fun time. Well, I'm gonna go check Anyways, it out. Sigils. Let's talk about them. <laughs> yeah, let's just dive right in. Uh, sigils. Sigils. What's up? What's going on <laughs> with them? Okay, so I have a lot of information. Um. My main source for this episode is this little book I got. I got it in the kind of like little witchy section of Barnes and Noble. So it's it's one of those kind of like how-to witchy books, you know, which I own a lot of books like this, but I also like part of me feels like every time I'm looking for like a witch book, it should be like old and dusty and like, you know, yeah. like have history behind it. So I'm always kind of like conflicted, but I did learn a lot from this book. It's fun. Um, it's called Sigil Craft, Your Guide to Using, Creating, and Recognizing Magical Symbols by Leah Taylor. Very contemporary, you know, uses a lot of contemporary examples, which we will get into. Yeah, so that's going to be like my main resource. I've dabbled a bit in creating my own sigils, just playing around. I don't claim to be like the most well-versed in sigil creation, but I've made a sigil or two, is what I'm saying. Okay. So, have you ever made a sigil, Brian? Uh, well, doing research, the answer is no, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> because doing research, the further I looked into this, and it was brief, but like uh, the, the more I got into it, right away, I'm like, oh, so just like any any like image that holds like some sort of swaying power or like that you're trying to influence something with, that's a sigil. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. And so my head just went to like, oh, so like the Nike swish or something, you know, like that's a sigil, you know, that's it's they're the same. That's what I'm they're saying. The same. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yeah. What is a sigil? It's it's basically a symbol. There's a huge, you know, intersection of just the study of symbols and like what you would consider a sigil, which, you know, makes it something I'm inherently in, interested in because anyone who studies art history is studying a lot of symbols. So like. A lot of a great deal of symbols throughout history could also be seen as sigils, you know. So it's a symbol or anything visual that represents a particular purpose or intention. Sigil tends to be the word used more in magical practice. That's kind of where the delineation happens, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like if you're, if you're using it for magic, it's you're going to use the term sigil more than symbol, probably. Mm -hmm. um, on like a micro specific level, you may have, when you hear the word sigil, you may have an image that pops into your brain that is like a mysterious looking symbol that kind of consists of maybe like simple lines, like layered together, but doesn't actually represent anything. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe kind of looks like an abstracted letter of the alphabet or something kind of like that. But to your point, Brian, on a more macro level, just about any image can be a sigil. 
corporate logos can definitely be a sigil. Like corporate logos definitely carry power and intention behind them, right? And a lot of thought be and how to influence consumers goes behind it, right? They want to get the right <laughs> shade of green. So, you know, the right shade of blue or whatever. If we want it to be calming, but not too, you know, like they're evoking something. They're putting intention into that symbol. Yeah. 100%. And another one, which I am going to get a little deeper into a little later, um, but a big one in contemporary society would be the internet meme as sigil. That's, uh, yeah, <laughs> Brian's eyes just got really big. <laughs> um, that's going to, yeah, I, I want to get into that a little later because that can, we can go deep with that, theoretically speaking. But yeah. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of wiggle room here. Uh, sigils can be as simple or as complex, um, as you want them to be. And pretty much any major religious symbol could be viewed as a sigil, right? Because every major religion has their symbols that are meant to evoke something in relation to their beliefs, their faith, their basically energy and tension and power is what makes a sigil a sigil. Okay. So getting into, the history of sigils, uh, like I said, pretty much every culture, every religious tradition has images that we could consider sigils. So technically, the history of sigils could be like forever, you know, like we could talk about every symbol ever. Um, I'm going to just hit a couple of bullet points because, <laughs> uh, yeah, that this is is such a large topic. Um, I think a big one, especially in relation to contemporary magic or witchcraft, the occult would be the pentagram, pentagram and pentacles, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Rock and roll. Um, so a pentagram is a five pointed star made of intersecting lines. It dates back to at least 3,500 BCE. I also think the pentagram is it's just fun because like think about it it's, it's literally just cool of, as hell dude you know <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the but like it's one of the first things we like started drawing as children right like you just mm -hmm. learned how to do the little star it was just like beep 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 mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. and we were just drawing little star like and so it's there's something so natural and like human about like oh if i just put these lines together that's that's a nice little shape you know <laughs> our ignorant uh, summoning that we're doing these little sigils i think about the the s that we put inside our little notebooks you know like the <laughs> yeah no that's i think that's totally a sigil too like we were all in the 90s doing that little s man what were we evoking with that though i don't know that is the question <laughs> there was a, there was a whole cult around that s Where there really that? was we that should go deep that. into that because and that was before the internet and yet every child of that entire generation was drawing that so like i don't i don't know how that happened but <laughs> was, yeah they work in the shadows and, yeah and, it was yeah. nuts um but so yeah pentagrams and pentacles very simple um, the pentacle became known as a magic symbol in the mid 17th century when it showed up in the book of the lesser key of Solomon. It wasn't really popularized in association with Wiccan practices until the 1960s, which makes a lot of sense. The 1960s, 1970s saw this huge like influx of 
interest in witchcraft and, and basically pulling up, you know, all the weird shit from medieval times. Like, let's pull out these grimoires and like, yeah, and kind of start using them for like our, our counterculture, like Wiccan beliefs. So an occultist that is um, mentioned quite a bit in this book by the name of John D. He was an English occultist in the 16th century. And he he was someone that really did focused work with kind of sigils and images. And like I said, pulling out some big images from medieval texts um, through conversations with spirits that were channeled through a man by the name of Edward Kelly. John D was guided to work with a seal known as the sigillum die or day seal of God. I don't know Latin. Um, <laughs> day it, day it, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It was a seal of God. Um, and it was found in a medieval grimoire. And so, so yeah, he, he was working with this, this, um, psychic who would like channel spirits and the spirits guided him to this grimoire, uh, where he found the sigil. It's very cool. It's very complex. You can Google it. Just look up sigillum. Well, what did what day 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 well yeah because <laughs> i i took two years of latin i can tell you i remember one thing in that god is days but it's in the sworn book of honorius and it's very cool it's very complex it's just fun to look at it's really interesting and it allegedly allowed an initiated magician to have power over all creatures with the exception of archangels. So all creatures, but the archangels, this basically working with the sigil was going to give you just, just unchecked power. (laughs) Um, And then he takes the sigil and then he further develops it into the sigillum de Amoth, which is the seal of God's truce. And he used that as a tool that basically in magic acts as like a filter when receiving messages from spirits and angels and stuff. So like it filters out the, the, the static, it filters out like what you don't need to hear and makes the messages clearer. So he developed this tool that is, has been used um, in occult practices and a lot of magic um, to kind of help bring forth clearer messages from beyond, which is pretty cool um Mm -hmm. and then he also created was known as the monus hieroglyphica which he actually only introduced it in this like literal mathematical kind of cosmological sense um like he he basically tried to introduce it in a very scientific way so there wasn't like a lot of magical theory behind it but once again look it up it's very cool to look at, and it has since been used by alchemists and occultists and in that world of, yeah, using these cool little symbols that this guy in the 16th century, I don't know, talked to spirits and stuff. And <laughs> um, You keep saying cool to look at, and I fully agree. And I think that, like, there's something to that, that, like, I'm going to make a connection to just, like... Hellboy for a second because Hellboy always Hellboy. But in the background, whenever there's occult stuff happening, there's just like he uses this ancient, um, you know, alphabet 
I don't even know what language or what alphabet it really was, but it just it, it's a lot of symbols that you would find in, in these classic sigils, just like floating around. And that's the idea of magic. And then someone asked one point, like, what are those? Uh, and, and, and he was like, I don't know. I just found them in a book and they looked spooky and cool. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, just like the S that we're drawing. I don't know. Yes. Spooky and cool. People yes. drawing pentagrams and, and, you know, like the anarchy symbol, you know, like it's like, we're evoking these messages and we're just planning them out there. Um, because it's very, it's just cool. And there's something about them. There's a power to them already. So like without even I'm looking at all these pictures of the sigils that we're talking about and they're, they're, they're cool as hell. And I, and it feels like each one of them is like, Oh, that's, uh, I don't know if I, if I look at that long enough, something, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. You know, <laughs> 100%. And I think, yeah, you you touched on something that um, I think is really important about the idea of sigils and crafting sigils and having a sigil practice and at least why I kind of connect to them a little bit is because sigils like they're they're fundamentally abstracted right they're they're images and they're meant to not look literal or um a lot of as we get into some of the common practices for making sigils like a lot of sigils start with something very literal they might start with like a mantra but there is a power in taking something literal and then kind of de- deconstructing it or abstracting it to make it not literal anymore that now gives it this like new mysterious power that is just so satisfying <laughs> like it's so enjoyable and like um i mean i think i also connect to sigils because fundamentally just like in my personal art practice I work almost completely in abstraction I don't really like making figurative art it's just not me it's just not what comes out I make very abstract pictures of shapes and colors and like layered lines and things so like sigils and the practice of making sigils just kind of makes natural sense to me because that's how I tend to make art already because there is something to me anyways, the process is that there is something coming out of me that is not literal and can't be explained super literally, you know? Um, So yeah, I think there is a huge part of the sigil's power is that you can't look at it and just like know exactly what the intention is or know exactly what it means. You can garner your own thoughts. Like you can like, see what energy comes through, what feelings you get from it. But it's not like, you know, it's not saying something super uh, forward and that makes it that much more mystical. Also like in um, re- like researching all this and thinking about sigils, there's this, uh, this astrology meme that I've seen multiple times. I've seen it go around multiple times and it, it does uh each of the signs as activities they as like weird activities they do as a kid and the scorpio one is like repeatedly drawing a mysterious symbol that they came up with <laughs> and i like i i always, like i just love that cuz i'm like yeah that's exact i like i would create weird little doodles and then i would just write them over and over again and then the more you write them the more they kind of have a power and a life of their own you know you're charging those, right? You're those are those are something you've created that that's almost like a signature for yourself, and that's is, so in in a way, just like these these what I was showing you at the beginning, each of these symbols, 
uh, has the power of the demon's name itself. If, if that's what the sigil of the demon is same as your, the little symbols that you would draw. Like this is, this is the purest form of Corey. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm drawing it everywhere. And can you see, like I've, put, <laughs> I've, I've put everything into that, you know, and there it is. <laughs> there it is. And if you look at it long enough, you might get it, you know? I yeah, think- exactly. Exactly. Just on the Wikipedia page of, of the sigil, they're talking about chaos magic a little bit. I'm talking about the sigil's use through chaos magic. And and the symbol is meant uh, to, like, order an intention down, you know, that like to, to charge up something to get very specific. Using the symbol essentially to bypass, like, the conscious mind to get, like, the subconscious through, Right. <laughs> And later on, it goes on and talks about comics as a form of this, that like Grant Morrison talked, coined the term hyper sigil to de- to describe, quote, an extended work of art with magical meaning and willpower created using adapted processes of sigilization. So like using like a whole line of a comic series like that is my one big sigil, you know, like this, I've, yes. I've created these images, the words and the flow of how your eye goes through the page and the lines and everything. It's all very like clear. And by the end, there should be something subconsciously coming through this like work of art, which then it's like everything's a sigil is where I go. Then yeah. the rabbit hole yeah, goes yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. You know, then I'm looking at like every symbol, every painting, every movie, because then we talk about a movie and there's sometimes a movie you walk out and you're like, it wasn't saying anything like you ever said that, you know, that like (laughs) there was no point or the movie wasn't making any statement, you know, like I think that's interesting that like maybe there wasn't any. Yeah. And I'm usually very attracted to stuff like that, like movies that just like leave you with so many more questions than anything. I'm like. There was something powerful there, though. Like, I felt it, you know? (laughs) Like, I, yeah, I love that feeling. And I love that feeling from art, too, which is why I tend to be drawn to art that either, like, tends to elicit something spiritual or, like, is very abstracted. Because I just, I love getting that feeling from an image instead of being told, like, this is exactly what's going on, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, exactly. Like, sigils, I think, are are playing in those waters of like the magic of creation in like a really fun way, mm-hmm. um, which makes them very appealing. And, and yeah. And then also, yeah, you can use them in a very specific way. Like I am going to create a sigil to help me make more money. And I'm going to use that in a practical way in my life to make more money. Like you can do that too, but I, yeah, I like kind of the, open-ended abstraction that comes with sigil creation and yeah and kind of just like you said the idea that like okay so like just about anything is a sigil <laughs> like, it, like visual yeah. material you know yeah, yeah, yeah but it contextualizes it in a really fun like magical thinking kind of way I think. yeah exactly like, that, especially the idea of charging something that like um, I had a director that gave this really nice speech before like an opening night one night talking about this theater that we were in that was been open for decades that like thinking about all the shows, every performance on that theater was still there. It happened in this same space, every audience, everything. So like this room is charged with ghosts of like past like ideas and and and, and you feel that, you know, like if you sometimes mm-hmm. you're in a space, they're like, they're like, wow, there's the. I'm sure like the set of Saturday Night Live people that are, that go on to that studio, you know, go like this, there's everything, I have the whole, it's all charged in this one space, you know? Totally. Completely. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And also to you, I like that you brought up hyper sigils. Um, The author of this book actually brings up 
they talk about hypersigils in a few different contexts, but I thought uh, an interesting example that they bring up is Frida Kahlo because as an artist, she works so much in um, self-portraiture. And so uh, the author, it talks uh, kind of talks about self-portraiture as a, as a hyper sigil essentially um, because you are now creating something that is representing you in a new way that is now like that image is like changing the reality of you. Right. Mm-hmm. By like, and, and Frida Kahlo was known for her self portraits. And then also, you know, I think that goes even further into her modern day popularity and like what the idea of her has turned into. Like, I think, I think there's definitely something to be said about Frida Kahlo as a symbol now, you know, and that being a hyper sigil that all started with her self portraiture. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That is very interesting to talk about. And also the book goes into a fun little like a uh, activity like if you want to do a self-portrait as a sigil so just kind of a fun thing to do um you know you can do your own likeness in a way that is charged into maybe who you want to be or how you see yourself or something you're working towards or whatever you know um something you need to express about yourself and then that image then turns into a sigil of you mm-hmm. um, pretty cool no (laughs) and and yeah charged with that's what's interesting about talking about the subconscious breaking through this like that that it's it's you think about like mediums or like connecting like they go into like a trance state to like get through a message from some some other higher thing like sigils are kind of doing this by evoking the subconscious that's coming through i'm just i'm dude i'm rambling right now but (laughs) i'm i'm i don't even have a clear thought for him i'm just like can make him (laughs) you know the red rip string connections in my head right now no i totally agree um i and i think there are a lot of um people that have like been known to work with sigils that see it very similar to the process of automatic writing and drawing it's just there's a little more intention behind it but it's still about like bringing forth that kind of subconscious feel as opposed to like i said a very literal mantra of like you know whatever it is like uh just using the same example we've been using, like, I want to make more money this year, right? Very literal, very like, but when you allow yourself the room to kind of take those words and then turn them into an image and let the lines kind of go where they're going, it it has a new power that is not quite so, I don't know, to me, just like mantras can feel kind of dead sometimes. It's just yeah. like, you know, there's there's something new and exciting about it that seems to be dealing with energy beyond the very like figurative and the very straightforward verbal. Yeah, kind. and the different definitions of what what power is, you know. Yeah. And that like um I mentioned earlier this book that which I got years ago. I talked I talked before we started recording, but I got this book by Richard Cavendish, The Black Arts. And it's just like a bunch of, you know, uh, that talks about your, your typical studies of the fur magicians and, and, um, you know, like a big deep dive. Um, but he has a whole part in it where he talks about, you know, sigils and especially like, uh, demonic symbols or sigils, uh, that would rep- represent the names of, of all these major demons. Talking, going back to power. This, this is one thought still. <laughs> the power lies in the name that like, if you know the name, the name, 
you would have some sort of power over the demon because you have some sort of knowledge of them or some sort of familiarity. So going back to your earlier when you were talking or Frida Kahlo and for your own little like Scorpio symbol drawings, like that's power that like you're imbuing in it. And it maybe doesn't even have to have any message or intention. Bottom line is I think there's something interesting and cool that like in, in other planes, they could be dealing with a whole other level of hierarchy and, and currency of power than we consider it, you know, power yeah. we think is like control over something or um, status or different things. Man, that's it. So I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no, I, I mean, I was following you like how you're kind of tapping into something that doesn't that. Yeah, is kind of going beyond the like boundaries of power as we understand it on like our very like literal plane, right? Like we're engaging with like other energies, whatever they might be. Like it's, it's the unconscious is crazy. Like that's, but that's what's scary. If we don't know what we're doing, (laughs) we said at the beginning, if there's a few activities that you (laughs) should be very clear on, I think it's like brain surgery and summoning (laughs) demons, you know, you should like really, <laughs> like us writing these symbols everywhere. That's like that's the beauty that. of yeah. sigils, though. Like, and also magic. If you don't have the intent of summoning demons, don't really think you're gonna summon any demons. I actually heard a really good. I think it was like a podcast or something with a, a very like well practiced um, magician. And I can't remember if it was a podcast or a documentary or something, but they were basically talking about how demons are busy like they're you're not just gonna like accidentally summon one it's actually incredibly difficult to get their attention (laughs) and and i was like i like that because that's literally never my intention when doing like you know witchy stuff or making sigils and so like the idea that the only way to really summon like a malevolent force like that is to do it very intentionally and that it's Mm -hmm. very difficult to do I don't know. That resonates with me a little bit more that you have to pointedly be like, I am trying to get this demon out here. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, I think that actually interestingly connects to uh, what I want to talk about, which is the whole uh, memes as sigil and hyper sigil. So this book talks about this a little bit and there's actually two documentaries that get into this that are both very good that are exploring the idea of of a meme as a as a kind of magical powerful symbol and both of these documentaries and this book use the example of pepe the frog and the development (laughs) the big eyes brian's eyes (laughs) Got so big. Yeah. Um, so the two documentaries that I very much recommend are called You Can't Kill Meme and Feels Good Man. Um, You Can't Kill Meme is interesting because it goes way, way more into the idea of magic. Like it's definitely like looking at this whole Pepe the Frog and like alt-right meme usage it, in terms of magic. Feels good man talks about it a little bit, but it also is about the history of the image of Pepe the Frog and the original creator of Pepe the Frog taking the image back and his like how he 
basically had this whole battle to like reclaim the image. Um, but for anyone who doesn't know, Pepe the Frog, very, very popular meme that honestly just started as this little frog cartoon that this very sweet man in San Francisco created. Um, very, like it, it was a very harmless image, you know, and the the original creator is just he's just a very sweet kind of innocent like a bit naive kind of a comic artist that likes frogs and like goofy shit you know and like and then the image of pepe the frog became a meme we know how internet memes you know blow up and take on new lives and it, it was being a meme used in a lot of different ways for a couple of years and then it very rapidly became a weird symbol of the alt-right thanks to 4chan it all comes back to fucking 4chan and then there is just a a very interesting analysis of this image and the almost collective power put behind this image and like some go so far as to say that they you know like a lot of like alt-right um people like go so far as to say that they that they like memed Trump into office. So basically there's a direct connection between Pepe the Frog and Trump being elected in 2016 because of the power put behind this frog image. Oh, um well, and now we're aware of it and we're we're doing it more. Like we're like yeah. if if that was what the successful campaign was, you know, <laughs> like without realizing just like when we're drawing a little S's in our notebook, we didn't realize the power we were doing. Uh I mean, Dark Brandon is another meme that's going around that they're fully like embraced, you know, that like that same thing that it's it's this become this meme this alter ego that like well it, it's that's more popular than the actual thing so like let's lean into that you know damn and it's all there's there's a whole lot of meaning that like was came from something unintentional yeah exactly and so it's you know like i said watch both of these documentaries i think they're they're both very good um you can't kill meme is just a lot more esoteric and like weird Feels Good Man is a little bit more like to the point. Um, but it's also Feels Good Man is interesting because very recently the artist is like he's he is succeeding in taking it back. Like he successfully like sued Alex Jones and like a lot of these alt-right people for using the image. And it was like this whole thing, but it's it's successfully like starting to lose the power it had at its height of like an alt-right hate symbol basically um so that's interesting too because it's also like we have the power to change the intentions and the and the meanings of these symbols but yeah it's fun it's fundamentally like at the core it's like it's it's kind of like if magic is real and you you believe in magic in any sense and you believe that you can imbue an image with power and if you believe that having more people imbuing that image with power gives it more power (laughs) then it does and it changes real life huge outcomes and this is just like a very clear example of that exactly what you were saying um about the idea of symbols on top of each other on top of each other like 
making something more charged, more powerful brings it back to a book club book we had a couple months ago, uh, Silver Nitrate. Um, and there's a really great part in the book because it gets into deep magician and, and practical magic where they talk about graffiti on buildings that gets painted over and graffiti and then painted over. And like, there's so many that sigils, that's idea that's, that keeps getting charged without getting erased. It just gets painted over. And so like, if you, wherever you look, you're going to find, if you're looking for it. Yeah. Yes. I think you can find power in so many things uh, yeah. is, is, is the point I'm making. Yeah. And interestingly, I'm glad you brought up silver nitrate because that book also touches on a topic that I think it would be really great to do an episode on, but uh, will require a lot of research. Um, silver nitrate touched on something that people, I think, don't really know a lot about. Um, I actually just watched a really amazing documentary that you can find on Amazon. It's an older documentary, um, but it's basically about the intersection of Nazism and the occult. All the main players in the rise of Nazism were very into the occult. And then... Like that, I think you can, it's not a far leap to what I was just saying about the alt-right, you know? Um, And I mean, ultimately proves that if you use these practices and like engage with magic, you know, like it's a, it's a neutral force. Like, and, and if you're willing to use it for bad, like it can, it can be used for some like pretty awful, you know, things. And, um, historically has been, and that's something to be very aware of that doesn't make the magic itself bad. It just means that this is, these are powerful tools that I think it's valuable for us to learn how to use them because, there are a lot of people with not great intentions that are learning how to use them, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I loved about Silver Nitrate going through this book. If you haven't read this book, it was really fun. Um, but it talked, you take a character that's very oblivious to all sorts of magic, and then it gets really indoctrinated in this world of very real occult Nazi magic that that's happening. And I think it's fun, like going into, you go into kind of like a brain exercise of like, well, trying to understand it. What are the rules here? What are, you know, like, and then once you do that, then you get deep into it. And then by the, you come out the other side and you're like, oh, everything's magic. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm a magician now, you know, like, what? <laughs> you know, I went in as a, I was just trying to like understand the story that was being told me. And now I, now I'm a convert, you know, and now yeah, I think yeah. about love is one, you know, that yeah, like, right. I'm walking in like you got a body over here with Christmas lights on it, you know, Um, by the end of the episode, I still think they were crazy, but like, (laughs) but But you you see how it happens though. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I feel that. And there are like, it uh, going back to the whole love is one thing. Like, I think that's, that was part of what was so interesting about that documentary, because I remember, I remember being in my apartment, by myself for a month straight and starting to think some kooky things, you know, <laughs> I remember when the conspiracies maybe started to take a little bit of a hold, I was able to snap myself out of it, but like, you know, it's just you and the internet, like things, <laughs> things start happening. And it's a losing battle right there. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, for real. Um, And I think weirdly, I think that does all connect to, Pepe and the alt-right because like the people who gave power to this image like were one and this is not um this is not me saying this as like a 
this is not me saying this is like a dig at them. Like this is like how they proclaim themselves. Like a lot of them were like incels, dudes who live in their parents' basements. Like, and then they started like proudly taking on that identity. And then they attached to these ideas. And in at, at the end of the day, they're people whose entire personality is being on the internet and they don't have like an active community in the world. And so they feel very isolated and like at odds with the world. And that turns you into someone who wants to do harm. Like it's, you know, it's a pretty simple, like, and some of them weren't doing direct harm. Some of them weren't, you know, walking into public places with guns, but they were, pushing dangerous rhetoric via a hyper sigil of a frog Mm -hmm. and like trying to make harmful things happen, you know? And so it's, I don't know. It's yeah. It's interesting. When you were talking about that, I had the thought of this movie from the nineties. I think it was, it was an Eric Bogosian movie called talk radio. Have you heard about this movie? Um, he, he plays, Eric Bogosian plays this like late night shock jock, um, that, you know, this like really controversial saying crazy things over the airwaves, but like he just said enough that he really pissed off somebody the caller calls in, makes all these threats throughout it that I'm actually going to like hurt you. And the guy's like pushing back and making fun of him. And then like, uh, sorry to spoil the movie. (laughs) The guy comes, comes for him at the end. Um, but like. That's uh, tying it to sigils and what we're talking about. Like that's if we're talking about like a hyper sigil and the, the product and that it's it, you're putting out into the airwaves. Like if you're putting the, the charge that in that one, he's putting some like antagonistic. Uh, he's inviting a lot of bad energy to come back, you know, yeah. um, I think that's the same. Maybe symbol. If, if you put in a if you charge a bad symbol. um <laughs> I've seen a lot of horror movies and it usually backfires, you know, like <laughs> it's usually not really where you want to go. <laughs> well, what comes around goes around. Um, uh, uh, you don't know what you got till it's gone. <laughs> 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 Paradise. <laughs> yes, I agree. All of the, I love this conversation, um, but that was a lot of theoretical yeah. stuff. So I want to bring it back around to maybe a little fun thing. Okay. <laughs> um, so sigils. Yeah. I obviously we're just getting into like the philosophy and the theory of, you know, not only sigils, but kind of using magic and using sigil magic. Um, but sigils, you know, they, they don't all uh, have to have the weight of, of the, Pepe the Frog getting Trump elected kind of thing. Um, You can make very simple sigils in your day-to-day life. You can, you know, be like, hey, just something you want. Like, I want a puppy dog. And you can make a little sigil to help bring a puppy dog in your life. (laughs) You know? Like, it's a secret. That's exactly what that was. Yeah. (laughs) it is it's kind of like the secret it's It's just a little more fun it's a little more artistic i feel like than the secret but (laughs) is the secret just like esoteric magic for for moms you know um well it turned into esoteric magic for capitalists is what it turned into it like going back into like it's all capitalist right yeah right it turned into just like 
prosperity gospel and like right. if you're not rich it's your fault um <laughs> use a certain shade of red for mcdonald's to make you hungry yeah like to eat mcdonald's and then yeah exactly. make more exactly. money yeah um but so yeah I, i'm in a in a little bit more playful way to engage in magic in your daily life to maybe like help certain outcomes little things you want whatever um yeah don't use this as like if people aren't rich it's their fault kind of rhetoric i hate that shit but it, it is a fun way to kind of just guide your life and set your intentions and you know that kind of stuff and there's a tons of different ways you can create sigils honestly at the end of the day you can make any symbol you want and you can imbue it with the power you want and you can use that symbol in the ways that you want i think you can do it in a very abstract yeah just you know yeah (laughs) maybe maybe don't copy like the the established sigils for the demons but (laughs) (laughs) but but in general, like I said, I really like to make art that is very like abstract and symbolic. And sometimes that creates little symbols that I'll be like, oh, I'm going to keep using that as something, you know. Um, but I have done just kind of little, it's almost like a little uh, art assignment, you know. There's um, several different methods uh, that you can, and you can look them up. There's several in this book, many in this book. So if, if you're really into this and like, I want to know all the methods, check out this book. It's got all kinds of stuff. Um, there's one method I've used several times that I think is really easy. It's really intuitive. It doesn't take a lot of extra tools and it's called the Austin Osman spare method. He was an artist and a cultist and he was born in 1886, died in 1956, so 19th to early 20th century. He was engaged in practi- practices of automatic writing and drawing and very interested in the relationship between conscious and subconscious, which makes a lot of sense because given the time he was alive, this was very in line with like the surrealism movement. And surrealists love that shit. They love like the automatic writing and like kind of letting the the uh, subconscious come through. And he was very into that. And he created one of the most common and easy ways to create sigils. And um, I've also got this quote by him. Sigils are the art of believing my invention for making belief organic, ergo true belief. Nice, right? Organic true belief is kind of how he saw sigils. Um So with the Austin Osman Spare Method, what you do is you basically start with a mantra or like just what what you want, what you want the sigil to be imbued with, right? So um, like, yeah, if you're, say you've got a cold and you just don't, you want to feel good again, you want that cold to go away, you just want to feel in good health, maybe you write, I want to feel in good health tomorrow or, you know, whatever. That's what we're doing. Um, So you write it down and you feel good about that mantra. You feel good about that sentence. You're like, this is what I want the sigil to be about. And then you, you look at all the letters. First you go through and you cross out all the vowels. We get rid of every vowel. So there's only consonants left. Then after you do that, you go through and you get rid of any repeating consonants. So only one of each letter. So if you have two R's, knock it down to one R, right? 
So it's only like you don't want any consonant more than once. And then once you go through all that and you have your remaining string of essentially random consonants at this point, you then take those letters and you're going to build them into an image. You can just start with the first letter, say it's an R. You can draw an R. You can draw it however you like. You don't have to draw it in any specific way. You can add little flourishes or whatever, but you draw an R and then you go to the next letter and you can you can attach it. You can kind of overlap it, like however seems intuitive to you. And and you can play with this. Like if you if you do it once all the way through and you're like, I don't like that image, throw it away, do a new one, you know. Um, but you basically just kind of layer the letters on top of each other, integrate the layers into one single image. So it's not letters anymore. It's just an image of these overlapped lines and designs built from the letters from your mantra. And then you have a sigil. And now, and you write that everywhere. And then you write it all over the place. Um, A really fun use. I done this myself several times. Just a fun, easy way to use sigil magic. After you create the sigil, put in a candle. Just take a little, just draw it in a candle. Then you light the candle. Look at that. <laughs> Why is it candle craft, man? You have a candle? <laughs> you got you do a lot with a candle. <laughs> you do a lot with a candle. If you, you if buy you buy have... one of my candles, is what you could do. <laughs> I mean, you could. I want to buy one of my capitalist sigils. Buy a candle, put a sigil in it. Um, Also, I mean, you could, if you have a sigil you really love that maybe means something like really important or specific to you, get that shit tattooed on your body. That's a powerful sigil right there that you're going to carry with you. You can, yeah. And that's part of the fun of it too, is like, yeah, I'm going to doodle this sigil everywhere. I'm going to just put it wherever I want. I might go outside and, and take rocks and like make my sigil, you know, like. Well, now I'm, I'm wondering with, with the art of tattooing, cause that's somebody else using your symbol on or, or your chosen symbol, putting it on, but it's there. Well, see, now I'm getting lost in the weeds. Like with, <laughs> who charges the symbol? Is the symbol itself already charged or is it the person drawing the symbol charging it with intention? Right. And yeah. so like, I think it's, I think it comes down to what you feel about it. I mean, I would, I wouldn't go to a tattoo artist that you think has bad intentions, but I would never go to a tattoo yeah, artist. Just like, <laughs> I want this symbol on my shoulder. It means good health and doggies everywhere. And the guy's yeah. like, oh no, I'm going to like ruin this person's whole day. I mean, I think, I Again, think they're careful. Be careful. <laughs> be careful. But I would say for that, that speaks to the power of, um, leaving room for a little secrecy in your witchcraft, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to explain to the tattoo artist anything. You can just be like, I would like this on my skin. Like, and then they're not, you know, like yes. it doesn't, they can't counter the power of it because they don't even know what it was to begin with. You know what I mean? So like any symbol, any painting <laughs> that you're drawing <laughs> and do your thoughts come through, you know, is that charging it with that emotion? You know, yeah. it's like- I think so. So like on Ink Master, like all of those yeah. really stressed out, you know, <laughs> tattoos that are just like forever charged on these people's bodies, you know, like maybe they're always stressed now. 
I love this conversation because you have zero tattoos and I am covered in that. <laughs> I've seen all the master though. <laughs> and, it, and I'm I'm sensing some very uh deep anxieties about tattoos just like watching all of ink master it has made me want more than anything to get one and also to absolutely never get one you know <laughs> i mean yeah i'm not i'm not now saying i know how to appreciate one and now i see every flaw in everybody else's thing, you know so i'm certainly not saying if if you uh have general anxieties about tattoos yeah maybe don't go get a, ta- a sigil tattooed on your body but if you are someone that is comfortable with <laughs> tattoos that could be a cool thing. Like that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and I know we're getting, I'm getting in the weeds about this tattoo thing, but the, the, what I'm, what I'm the real question though, is the idea of, of who holds the power again, we're back to power. Is it, is the, is it the, is it the symbol itself? Is it the creator of the symbol? Is it the person using the symbol? Is the answer just yes across the board? You know, like, yeah, I would say the answer is kind of yes across the board. I would say, in my personal opinion, if you created a symbol specifically with intention, emotion, and like power behind it, mm-hmm. and you are also that the same person with that intention wearing it on your skin, yeah, that is what's giving it way more power than the guy at the tattoo shop who tattoos people all day long. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I guess it goes back to what you're saying, but it's neutral, right? That like, yeah. it's just. So the tattoo artist is probably just a neutral design, unless right. it's maybe a tattoo artist that you are close with and confide in about what it's about. But like, it could just be a neutral design. And to you, you're the one giving it the energy and the power because you created it. You're the one wearing it. You're the one looking at it and charging it consistently yes. by looking at it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, so we, oh, interesting. Talking about <laughs> the viewership charging. Is that like yeah. me engaging with like a exactly. film that I, I've seen a thousand times? You exactly. Know? It goes back I to the meme. Something else I want to like. The memes as hyper sigil, right? We see it, we interpret it, we change it, we keep it moving. Like it's the whole, the whole thing, the whole use. Those of- are pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I agree. Uh, <laughs> pretty wild, pretty wild stuff. I think this conversation got to the heart of what I think of a lot of esoteric arts, and it, it, it's it touches on a reason why I like all art in general, you know, that there is, there's like an unspoken language that's happening underneath it. That's, that's 100%. You know, that there is, there is a hidden uh, force that's like in, in movies and books and paintings and things that I have ex- witnessed and engaged with. There's power behind it. I had a friend at work told me at the time that he spoke to somebody that had, has seen 40 movies total in their whole life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And they were like, well, how we just don't like movies? And they're like, no, it's such a passive experience watching movies. And to which I and my friend too was like, I, that really hurts. And I fully disagree. <laughs> you know? <I'm> like, Wrong. <laughs> just sit there and look at it. Like, yeah, I just sit and look at like the night sky with the, it's not passive, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, yep. <laughs> so I completely agree. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm a, huge media girly i 
I find everything I watch, even if it's like a comfort show I've seen a million times, to be an engaged, like, active experience. It's like always an active experience. And I want that shit charged, you know, ready to go. Yep. Anyway, I love love movies. I love sigils. I think horror (laughs) movies do it the best. There we go. There we go. Pure emotion, you know? (laughs) Yes. Sigils are cool. I like them. Um, If you're into sigils or you make sigils or you have some insights on the sigils, you can hit us up at happyharvesthorrorshow at gmail.com. If you want to share your sigils, if you want to send us some, if you have some you like Only if they're nice. Only. Don't be sending me. Don't you send me a demon. (laughs) A brief description of what it is would be nice. Thank you. And don't lie. In the subject. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, there's some good books out there, some good resources. Like I said, Sigil Craft by Leah Taylor is a fun one, especially I think if you're very new to both witchcraft and sigils. It's just got a lot of stuff. And also if you're someone, like I said, I kind of, when I make visual art, I think it lends itself to sigil making very easily. But if you're not that kind of a like creator that works in like the abstract or like, plays and symbols a lot. This book has j- several methods you can use to that are a little bit more like like a an art project essentially, like guidelines, guidelines mm-hmm. on like where to start to make the sigils until you know over time you get more comfortable with it and you can do it in a more like free flowing kind of way. We should do a we should make a happy harvest horror show sigil. We kind of do our our art, right? Of our yeah. podcast. Yeah. I do love our podcast logo. Our hyper sigil, which is the Happy Harvest Horror Show. Thank you for listening, everybody. This has been a fun episode. Admittedly, I came in not knowing what too much to talk about, and then it just became. It's always end up being the funnest conversations, though. You know, yeah, they end up being a good time. <laughs> you and I always get all philosophical with it. So what happens when you got a Sagittarius and a Scorpio together? We're just gonna like we're gonna take it deep. I'm, I'm putting the rock on symbols. <laughs> Sigils. Sigils. Thanks for listening to everybody. We're the Happy Harvest Horror Show. In addition to talking about sigils and our favorite spooky stuff, we got a book club, like I said. We also, well, we also sell candles. Um, and you can get those on our through a link in our bio. They smell great and they've got a sigil on them too. A little scarecrow boy. Yeah, you could carve a little sigil and you can burn it and just mm-hmm. do a little uh, do a little magic time. Again, only nice ones though. <laughs> Don't be using my candles for <laughs> demons, ghosts, or something. You know, Nazi like, ghosts. Yeah, <laughs> for real. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everybody. Excited to talk to you again uh, with more spooky stuff because the spooky life never dies. Uh, and we got a whole another Halloween to build up to. Yeah, <laughs> this will be the one. This will be. This will be the one. This will be the one. We'll all be sorry after this one. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Stay spooky. Bye. Bye.